Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Sarah Townsend. One of those annoying people who loves their job, Sarah is a freelance marketing copywriter with over 20 years experience crafting powerful, persuasive copy for clients such as RTL Group, NSPCC and Mind. Based in beautiful Gloucestershire, where she has two well-behaved children and two badly behaved cats, is where she penned her own recent bestseller, Survival Skills for Freelancers providing practical advice about the nuts and bolts of freelance work. Sarah hates the word whiff, is partial to an ice-cold Baileys and says, be prepared for some hard graft. Value your time off and pay yourself first. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Right, seven quickfire questions then. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Write or type? Ah, type. Stick or twist? Oh, twist. (laughs) Agency side or client side? Um, Both, for different reasons. Right, these get harder now. Right, luminescence or twilight? Luminescence. Oh, that was easy. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Right, Apple, think different or yellow pages, J.R. Hartley? Oh, Apple, every day of the week. And lastly, Andrew Ridgely or Cary Grant? Mm, Cary Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. We always like to kick things off by celebrating the sometimes linear, often quite remarkable route that guests take in their career, particularly at the beginning. So how did your journey begin? Because I know it didn't involve university, which is quite topical given the current shitstorm. But tell us more, how did it start? Well, I, yeah, as you say, I never wanted to go to uni. I had no intention of doing it, even though I had the head of sixth form and the careers advisor at my school telling me that um, it was a waste of talent or God knows what. And um, yeah, I kind of wanted to find my own path, get a bit of independence and start earning some money. And I applied for a couple of jobs for local insurance companies and got offered both of them, which was kind of nice. Decided to go and work for Allied Dunbar, who were based in Swindon because they had the swankiest office of the two companies. Worked there for a few years, met my uh, ex-husband in Cheltenham. So he was living in Cheltenham. We decided to live together really quickly, like three months or something. And uh, we bought a flat near Cheltenham. So I ended up switching from Allied Dunbar to the other company that had offered me the job way back, uh, which was Eagle Star. So I worked with them doing mortgage uh, applications for a little while until their marketing department relocated down from London or up from London or however you want to describe it and took a job with them as a marketing assistant, worked my way up to their publications controller with my own little team. And then at some point after about three years, they decided to make a third of the marketing department redundant. And they were offering really good redundancy packages. So I wasn't loyal enough to the company to to turn that down, I have to say. So I actually contacted the company that were publishing our customer magazine at the time, who were based in Clifton in Bristol. And I asked them if they would have a job for me. And they said, yeah, absolutely. Come and join us. We'd be glad to have you as part of the team. 
So I left Eagle Star on the Friday with an 11 grand payoff and started work at Specialist on the Monday. And uh, yeah, with hindsight, probably would have taken a little bit of time off, <laughs> live and learn. But um, yeah, so I worked for the magazine publishing company for three years, then became pregnant and then decided to uh, work for myself. So that's my kind of route to freelance life. Okay, that's interesting. And so would you say it was a, it was a case of learning on on the job then I mean you just use the phrase live and learn oh, but I much. suppose that thumbs up that time yeah yeah very much like every every job I've ever done I've learned on the job and I, I've been fortunate to work for some companies who have been amazing at training Eagle Star for example they used to send the marketing department to the Chartered Institute of Marketing down in Berkshire if I remember rightly mm. Cookham uh, and, I, and I go off on residential courses and learn how to write for print and this sort of thing and um yeah so I, I've just I've literally learned as I've gone every step of the way yeah fantastic and so then I suppose then having to at least consider time away from that employment is is I suppose quite a challenge but you 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 opted quite quickly I understand to just set up as freelance how did how did that come about to be honest, I was kind of encouraged into it, shall we say, because I always knew I didn't have it in me to be a full-time mum. And I wanted to work part-time around when my daughter was small and I wanted to put her into nursery a couple of days a week. And I wanted a job that I could fit around that really so that I could kind of appreciate the time that I was spending with her all the more because I was getting the, the satisfaction and the um, stimulation from carrying on with my career and um, yeah I spoke to my managing director about it at the time and he said "Mm, no absolutely we can't you know you have clients you're an account manager we can't expect your clients to understand that you only work two two or three days a week so my managing editor sort of took over and offered me some freelance work as kind of a, a bit of a stopgap to kind of tide me on until I got more clients established. So I worked freelance for them for probably the first 10 years of my freelance journey on and off and obviously juggling with a lot of other clients as well. But they kind of kept me going to begin with while I found my feet. And um, yeah, that, that was it wasn't something that was kind of ever on the cards but I, I think generally that's the case. I think particularly with freelance life, people tend not to go through school and early years telling their parents and their teachers that they want to be a freelancer when they grow up, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah. I think that's good to hear too, because there's parallels with, with that point and, and with many others across all sorts of industries and, and careers. And the reason we like to ask our guests how life started for them is because I think that, I, and I see it in my own um, nieces especially who might be concerned about the the path the, the the right way of getting into something whereas we all retrospectively look back and think oh wow I, I went, I, that's the way I came in rather than that's the way I planned to come in yeah yeah there's there's so much I mean I'm, I've never really been that much of a planner because when I set a goal it tends to become an obsession so I have to be a bit careful but yeah I find most things that I've done in my life I've kind of stumbled into them to a certain degree and what challenges did you did you face in those first few years? I mean, aside from obviously juggling motherhood. Yeah, well, that was a big one because I didn't <laughs> know the first thing about being a mum or the first thing about running a business. So in terms of juggling, that was a huge challenge. But I guess it was the, the stuff that we all take for granted today. Back then, there was barely any internet and there was certainly no social media so there were no freelance chat hours there were no Facebook groups there was no online support there were no like-minded people that you could kind of hang out with on Instagram it was just very much isolation for me and I'm a people person unlike a lot of freelancers who are quite open about being introverted I've always got my energy from being around other people so I'd gone from working in this really sparky office lots of guys and I've always found that I get on well with guys because I I I seem to think in quite a male way sometimes so I would kind of be having banter with the guys in the office and 
getting chatting with the girls in the office and we all got on brilliantly it was a really good community so when I left that behind I really struggled with how how to be when you're working on your own and and where to get support from and I I I had none so yeah I think that's probably why I'm so outspoken about getting your support from the online community and why it's so important to do that yeah absolutely because you you started your freelance career I believe it was 1999 so email even email was relatively new and social media was you know I suppose non-existent really when it comes to the type of support networks that are available nowadays so does that mean that you've become better at dealing with isolation the reason I ask is because I set up isolated talks you you might be familiar with to to kind of help raise awareness for the 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 real mental challenges that 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 has been enforced on all of us yeah so in my mind I'm thinking maybe you found it easier than I did these these past few months I wouldn't say I found it easy easier but I think it it even being in the weird situation in lockdown I found that strangely easier than working completely on my own in this little isolated bubble to begin with because of having the groups and the zoom calls and you know the kind of multi-person online networking things I've got one group um the you are the media group that I find super supportive so they've been doing a like once every two weeks an online lunch group which about 60 people go to um and that's incredibly supportive I don't do a lot of online networking in fact I think that's probably the only thing that I've regularly gone to but that group's really supportive some of the groups on Facebook are supportive even just things like being able to listen to other freelancers experiences through things like podcasts yeah. and, and webinars or whatever it's just knowing you, you know now now we know that we're not on our own we're not isolated we're not the only people going through the challenges that we're facing because there are tens if not hundreds of thousands of people out there feeling the same way yeah, and it's important that, that being a solo worker doesn't mean you're alone. I think that's the... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the first chapter of the book. It is. Well, let's talk about the book then. So uh, when so when did you get the idea to write the book? Because it's absolutely fantastic and it's been really well so received, much. which is which is wonderful. Um, but, but take us back to the beginning. How did it start? And what was that like to write it all in, in the book? Uh, well, it, it was weirdly therapeutic, I think. I think once I'd got the idea, like I said earlier, it became an obsession. I just think my brain is wired differently to other people because I start something and it's all I can think about. It, li- it literally kind of consumes my every waking moment. And also I wake up in the night thinking, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, so I'm not I'm not easy to live with when I'm on an obsession. So I guess it started towards the end of last year, as recently as that. I never had any desire to write a book. I never thought I had a book in me. I was actually quite dramatically opposed to the idea of ever doing it. So for me, I guess I wrote this blog post, which had the same name. It also had the subtitle, How to Go Solo Without Going Loco, which I loved. There's a <laughs> there's another story behind why that got dropped. But it, it just resonated with people. And I think, we, I, I don't know, I don't know whether I've just become more attuned to it or whether there is a kind of growing movement in people being more out there and more open and heart on your sleeve with their advice. But when I published it towards the end of last year, people were like, oh, you know, it's about time we started talking about the reality of freelance life. Because there's all this stuff out there about why it's great, particularly if you're a parent and you're looking for a job that's flexible while your kids are little or even when they're not but it's rare to read the real to read about the real ups and downs and I think particularly not just the practical side but the emotional side so the self-doubt the isolation the um, imposter syndrome just the general wobbles the kind of the, the the fear of overwhelm or not even the fear of it but you know the likelihood of suffering from overwhelm and then burnout it's it's too common and mm. I think it's really important that people are now more starting to be open and honest about the risks and the need for balance and the need to set boundaries and and it's not just freelancers really 
anybody anybody in any career but I do think if you're employed there are clearer boundaries around when you start work and when you finish work whereas when you're self-employed you set those boundaries and if you're anything like me when I'm working when I'm full-on with a job that I'm thoroughly enjoying which to be honest is most of them I'm lucky enough to be able to pick and choose what I work on so when I'm really fired up on something I don't know when to stop even now so I have to be really strict with myself and uh, and make sure that I set good boundaries and I take time out of every day to do the things that work for me I guess for my well-being I've got so many questions to ask you just off the back of what you've just said but I'm going to take it back um a step first before I lose my train of thought but we were talking about um dealing with isolation and the support networks which do exist now or that facility to connect with other freelancers nowadays that perhaps didn't exist or or certainly didn't exist when you started your freelance career do you think though with the um with the emergence of social medias and those very same networks do you think those channels have actually added and brought in new pressures and stress you you only have to look at LinkedIn to see some dickhead claiming they're crushing it Mm, mm. And, and that type of message that is just so prominent across all social medias and all of the hustle porn out there is yeah. is really dangerous. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I, I really wanted um I really wanted the book to have an anti-hustle message because I honestly feel like I mean LinkedIn is the worst. I love LinkedIn, don't get me wrong, but it depends how you use it and who you follow and who you listen to. Couldn't agree more. There are a lot of people out there who are yeah, it's the same with Twitter. A lot of people are down on Twitter, but I honestly think if you use lists to sort of segregate the people whose tweets you actually see. You can still follow more people, but actually when you find that you're not really benefiting from the stuff they're putting out there, it might be a bit negative or a bit political or a bit, in my case, anything to do with football, <laughs> I block it. <laughs> so I don't necessarily want to unfollow those people, but if you carefully curate who you follow across all the channels, then you're going to get a much better experience because that comparisonitis, that, you know, compare and despair they say I just think as soon as you start looking at what other people are doing it's just a recipe for disaster you, you end up thinking oh you know I'm not doing as well as them and they're, they are crushing it or however you want to describe it whereas actually that's their external life that's the edited highlights that they are choosing to share that's not the reality, in, in many cases, it's not the kind of nitty gritty, messy, dirty reality of self-employment. It's yeah. just the bits that they kind of feel like being open about. And um, yeah, and I think if, you, if you're feeling vulnerable, stay off social media. That's generally, I think, good advice. It's, not, it's worth taking a detox um, and just kind of shutting down from things, taking time out for a couple of days. You know, a couple of days, nobody's going to kind of go, oh, you know, I haven't seen a post from Sarah for a couple of days. But I try to be open and honest on my social as much as possible, as well as share the good stuff. Because it's really important to celebrate your wins. That's that's a great way of kind of dealing with imposter syndrome. But at the same time, when you're vulnerable, if you go onto social media, you will find yourself getting sucked into that little wormhole of worrying about what other people are doing and if they're doing it better than you yeah you're right you're absolutely right I, I've never heard the term comparisonitis by the way I've written that down because oh. it's perfect. <laughs> um, but you're right it's, it is it's the curated version of someone's life it's it's like it's, it's like the movie not the film set and what actually went into oh, it it's yeah just not, yeah it's not, that's it's a great not. way of describing it I like that <laughs> you can have that I'll swap you that for comparison <laughs> yeah you're um, on. the other thing I was I was going to ask you Sarah was it was uh, specifically about something that I know has been a challenge not just for freelancers so I'm kind of broadening it out for now but during um, the lockdown I know a lot of people who are less familiar with working from home and, and that kind of strict regime that you must follow to to to, to create that work-life balance mm. And in fact, I have a cousin who um, rarely works from home, but he started walking out of his front door 
um, just before nine o'clock in the morning and walking around the back of his house to physically come in the back door oh, as his I journey to work. And then he would reverse it at the end of the day just to give himself a routine. Yeah. How Have you got any advice for people out there who are struggling to create that divide between working hours and life? Well, first off, I think your cousin is, that's just a genius idea because it's creating that physical distance between work and home life. And that's when we get into trouble, when the boundaries between where work stops and home life begins. Mm. And when that becomes blurry, you find yourself working on the sofa or taking your laptop to bed. That's like the worst thing, isn't it? So I think have certain areas, you know, you might not be lucky enough to have a dedicated room in your house that you class as a home office, but wherever you choose to work, have dedicated spaces in your home that are work-free zones. I would certainly say that that helps. I, I would also say it's kind of the advice that is in, I think, chapter seven in the book. It's all the stuff that is related to having bad days and how you deal with bad days it's the self-care stuff and the well-being stuff so make sure you don't just get out of bed go and sit at the dining table and eat your breakfast then go and sit at your desk in front of your computer and not move all day make sure you're taking regular breaks but don't just say oh okay I'm on a break and then like flick over to twitter on your phone or whatever get up away from your desk do some stretches, you know, dance around your kitchen while you stick the kettle on, empty the dishwasher. So you're physically doing things to clear your mind because even when you're doing those tiny little routine day-to-day tasks, something sometimes just unlocks in your brain to actually kind of give you a fresh way of thinking and it'll give you a way of tackling problems that you've been feeling stuck with. Um, so yeah movement is a really really big thing Um, fresh air get out and about you know whatever your thing is if you need to get out on your mountain bike for an hour or go for a run or go for a walk with the dog I try to take a walk around the block like regularly Um, I don't always manage it but when I do I always feel better for doing it does that is that the sort of thing you yeah no 100% completely I think it's those the the physical prompts that can be seems so trivial but but can be hugely effective like the example I gave about my cousin just anything that can kind of uh, pronounce that time in your head if that's the right uh, phrase to use because I know certainly for me it's something I've struggled with even thinking about the weekdays versus the weekend days and I say that as someone who has two preschool children at home there's there's, there's very little difference now in our daily schedules whereas previously working from the agency I would have the you know, the very physical, uh, obvious cue of being at home versus being at the office. And it's just something yeah. that has, has been difficult. But but I've actually found lots of people who are um, set up in the same way as you and who work as freelancers have have understandably found it much easier because it's just, it's it's the standard. And that's, I think it's a lot of us have, have um, perhaps have even more respect for the freelancers we work with because they're able to work effectively from home. Yeah, well, yeah, that is true. I I have to say I've never really, well, not never, for the first probably 12 to 15 years, I think I did pretty much, in fact, I know I entirely worked from the office, but as I said, I was sort of struggling with that isolation. And a few years ago, I started working in the lounge bar at my gym with my laptop. So I would walk up to the gym, which is a 15 minute walk. And then I'd um, do a couple of hours work do a class mid-morning to kind of energize myself and to get my focus kind of back on track and then I'd go back to working at my laptop pretty much for as long as my battery would allow so even for me it was kind of an adjustment of oh I can't go out to the gym and be around people and experience that buzz and that social contact so yeah even though I had done it years ago it was still a bit of an adjustment to kind of get back to doing it well while we were all in lockdown. Yeah. You, you mentioned the actual process of writing the book was therapeutic. Can you tell us more about the, the process? And, and the reason I ask is I, I find it very interesting to talk to authors about that process because I've had, we've had, we're very fortunate enough to have had guests in the past 
such as Matt Watkinson, who's a wonderful author of The Grid. I know he wrestled with that book for a long time. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I spoke to a lady called Paulina Tenner recently, and she says she practices the vomit edit, where she literally just chucks everything out. And then once everything's out, she can then assemble it and edit it. And in fact, oh, Tom, the, the, yeah, it's great. It, it just seems yeah. so accessible. And it's exactly the same as the excellent um, Tom Albrighton, who I know you're, you're obviously oh, yeah, um, very familiar with. By coincidence, he tweeted earlier today, I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you're thinking of writing a book, just start. Once you've written one mm-hmm. bit, the next will become yeah, clear. Yeah, that's really true. Where on that spectrum do you sit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I sit on, I, I sit the, 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 the kind of very far end in the, um, I felt like it, it, the energy took over and it wrote itself. But because I'm a perfectionist control freak editor... <laughs> <laughs> by by background and by uh <laughs> by nature yeah. i uh i did edit as i went so i would probably put together one chapter but i didn't a i didn't write in any sort of order but at the same time i had the benefit of not starting with a blank page so i wanted to use the the blog post that had been so well received as kind of a starting point so i just copied the blog post pasted it into a doc and just kind of had that as my first draft for the book and I guess it just started to shape itself in a really organic oh I hate the overuse of that word but it it just kind of found its form and I had that really good strong structure to begin with I knew that a big chunk of the book was going to be taken up with the myth side so I wanted to share the myth and then share the reality from my own experience and from the experience of the other freelancers who are quoted in the book, over a hundred of them. And then I wanted to share the advice that was specific to the reader um, on the back of that learning. So that having that really strong structure for the book was like a framework. I never actually kind of, I've seen some people have gone to amazing detail by having big planning sheets, like big, pieces of paper or whiteboards or even spreadsheets I being a worse person I hate spreadsheets um but yeah I mean I've seen people who've been so organized in that respect but that's just not the way my brain works so I just kind of went for it and dipped in and kind of went okay so today the chapter that wants to write itself is the one about dealing with isolation and the following day the chapter that wanted to write itself was the one about money so yeah kind of scattergun I guess but scattergun in the world's most obsessive way imaginable <laughs> <laughs> that's nice it's a nice balance yeah. a nice contrast I like, but I like the fact that you said you had that format to work to and that format is is it wonderful really and I might I must plug one more thing that Tom said um which I've heard echoed by numerous others um, and Tom actually wrote I've been freelancing for over 15 years and I wish I'd read this book on day one. Every page is packed with practical advice and hard-won wisdom. Get it. And that's what's so good about the book is I think it's not so much, even um, this, you know, a lot of our conversation has been more on the kind of mindset and mental health perhaps side yeah, of things. Yeah. And they're the real key challenges. It's not the, it's not, what's so bizarre and it's, definitely parallels and you make this point in the book it's definitely parallels with being someone who runs a business is is it's not the doing your job or the bit you understand is your job that's the challenge it's everything else that comes with it yes, and that's what you, exactly. you kind of communicate so well in the book yeah that just gave me goosebumps that that is exactly what it is because when you start self-employment you do it generally speaking if you've had a choice in the matter you do it because you want to do more of the thing that you love whether that's graphic design or coding or copywriting, whatever it is, you do it to do more of that stuff. But I think nobody really warns you how much of that extra padding and stress and like just logistics and all the crap that surrounds doing the stuff you love. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what I wanted to focus on. But that's what's so good, and that's what this book gives you. And like you said yourself, I wasn't I wasn't aware it was over, it was a hundred freelancers plus. But you do pull in, the, you know, the brilliant likes of um, you know call to action alumni. You've got Nick Parker in there talking about yes. burnout, and you've got so many yeah. other people. So it not only not that it needs validating, but it not only validates it, but you actually get that broader understanding of the reality of of freelance life. And I think. 
for that reason alone, the book's worth 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 picking up, let alone everything else within. I, I also like that you hate spreadsheets, by the way, and, and just for um for no real reason, I need to tell you that my father in law keeps a spreadsheet of what's in the freezer. Oh my god! <laughs> the less you write that, the better. He he deserves wow. more time other than us thinking. Oh my god. God, do you know what that? That's actually kind of a genius idea, but I just wish somebody else would do it for me. Someone else can like maintain my freezer with a spreadsheet. I actually, I have to share something in response, and that is that I, um, I picked up a new client this week through a graphic designer who I met through one of the online Zoom things, and um, and their brief was in Excel spreadsheet format. And the literal wow. first thing I did was copy and paste everything from the Excel spreadsheet into a, a Word doc. <laughs> just so I could cope with it I could cope yeah. with looking at it because like why would you brief a copywriter in a spreadsheet I am I, I am at a loss <laughs> for an answer to that question oh <laughs> terrifying isn't it Con- context yeah. is everything <laughs> yeah. but but just quickly before we 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 dip into we've got a couple of listener questions to put to you but but before we get to those um I think it is important to talk about something that Nick uh, mentions also in the book or, or um, contributes to is 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 how to avoid burnout now perhaps at the start of your career you didn't maybe have the I suppose uh, seemingly luxurious uh, choice of not working Fridays but yeah. that's something that you've done very deliberately to prioritize your own health and well-being how, how can people prioritize that especially at the start I think at the start it's it's almost uh, you kind of rough and tumble and just you have to find your feet and you have to try and fail in order to understand and learn and then respond to that so have you got any tips that you can share I don't want you to give away all the book secrets but is there anything you can mm-hmm. share on that oh yeah I, I, and I think actually just circling back to what you just said I think failure is really important because it that there's actually a great quote in the book from Neil Gaiman about failure whether you buy the book or don't buy the book look up Neil Gaiman on failure it's absolutely brilliant I think it was his New Year's Day message but yeah I love that so um yeah to begin with it is super tough because you do end up working all the hours just because you feel the need to take on everything that comes your way and to a certain degree that's how you build up your portfolio and get the recommendations and the reputation and the the word of mouth kind of kudos that you need to continue to grow your business. But I think it's really important to know what your limits are. And to begin with, you probably won't know. You'll probably only know by experimenting. But when, you, um, when you're starting out, just try to put some form of boundaries and balance into your day. And I do think that's easier said than done. It's easy for me to do, to say that in my like 21st year of self-employment. And as you say, no longer doing client work on Fridays and I get to pick and choose who I work with and what I work on. That's, that's ultimately the aim, isn't it, when you're freelance? And the idea of the book was to help people get to the point where I am now, but not to take 15 odd years to get there. So yeah, I digress. I do that a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what hope have we got? <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. Try to perhaps have other people keep you accountable. So your partner or your family or pick on a trusted friend who's perhaps going through the same journey as you and say, look, you know, I really want to finish at six tonight. I need to go off to the gym and and you know work out the frustration of the day or whatever it is you want to do it's so easy to get so psyched up by the thing that you love doing that there is a lot of self-discipline involved in actually knowing when to take a break yeah but it, but it is super important to do that yeah definitely absolutely couldn't agree more um so i i have a couple of listener questions for you sarah Ooh. So asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking. Number one is from Liam. Liam asks, I've heard you talk about how freelance doesn't mean free. As someone relatively new to freelancing, how do you decide what to charge clients? Do you prefer using day rates or project based costing? Yeah, 100% the latter. Um, I'm quite, I'm quite outspoken on my dislike of day rates. 
And I think it's because without context, they're meaningless. So if you went to three different freelancers, say somebody was doing a, you know, a client was doing an internet search and they found three freelancers they like the look of, they fire out an email saying, oh, what's your day rate? And the freelancer responds just in response to the question and just says, oh, it's, you know, 200 pound or 400 pound or whatever it may be. The chances of them actually making the decision on who to go with on the basis of that day rate with absolutely zero context is probably quite high. So try to avoid getting involved in that race to the bottom on prices because there are clients out there who are prepared to pay for great quality work. And being a new freelancer doesn't mean you're new at what you're doing because the chances are you might have worked for an agency for five years or 10 years. You might be super experienced. Just because you're a new freelancer doesn't mean you need to put your rates down or be scared of charging what you are worth. I mean, that that's a huge topic for now, the charging what you're worth. There is a whole chapter mm. about it in the book. But I would generally say go value-based if you possibly can because, yeah, you'll need to have an idea in your mind of what your day rate is. But whether you're actually transparent and you tell your clients that or whether you use that understanding to work out the value of the work that you're delivering. So think from the client's perspective. I, I mean, I have, I mean, I don't know any personally that I know of, but I have heard of freelancers who, freelance copywriters who charge by the word. And that <laughs> okay. just, it just strikes me as the most <laughs> ludicrous. Like imagine you've got a new company and they want a tagline or a mission statement and the tagline's three words. What are you going to charge? Like three pounds? Like and, and this is going to be something that they're going to use again and again and again. So think of what the value of the piece of work is from the client's perspective. If it's something, you know, it never be afraid to tell the clients that you can repurpose the, the piece of work for them if they need that to be done. Show a bit of initiative in your response rather than just going back and saying my day rate is X because that almost invites them to compare you in terms of cost. And you can't blame them. If they don't know anything about you personally, you haven't taken the time to go through that kind of investment and that nurturing of them as a contact. So they don't have that no like and trust that they need to decide that they want to work with you because they like you, rather than you being the best freelancer out there for the job then you are on a back foot. Yeah. Another thing that's tangentially, again, is is making sure that you kind of nurture your contacts is super, super key when you're starting out. It's all about building those relationships and turning strangers into friends and then into clients. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you've said some wonderful things there. And, and actually, um, anyone who knows me well knows that this is a real key topic for me and something I'm very passionate about also um but the aside from the point you're making about day rates and that metric being hugely flawed uh, to measure what we do mm. I think you made a really key point there also which was it's not their fault so when when clients ask you for a day rate and as you say if you opt into that conversation you're giving them the facility to compare your day yeah. rate against someone else's and that about. relies on you both being exactly the same level of experience and quality in, in, in your output mm -hmm. but it's so easy to bitch and moan and I'm guilty of it more than most about how ridiculous that is but you're absolutely right it's up to us and people in the industry to have that conversation with clients because yeah, clients aren't stupid that, that, that they and, and the ones who respect what you do will will be open to that conversation it's, it's why we don't have a rate card at, at gas for that mm. exact same mm. reason but saying it's not their fault is, is really key yeah and I think it's just it's the it's the traditional way people cost for jobs or people source the right supplier for a job I don't like people calling freelancers suppliers but you know I, I guess ultimately that is the case but I think the the dream is to get on a level with them where they trust you as a trusted partner and um and that's when you can start kind of really adding value with your experience and um they might come to you and say oh can you give us a quote for doing this whereas actually when you drill down with asking some questions about what they're trying to achieve and their goals for the project you might 
be in a position based on your experience and your knowledge to actually suggest to them a completely different approach. And, yeah. and that's when you have the chance to stand out because the other freelancers probably did go back and say, oh, 300 a day, 250 a day, 500 a day, whatever it is. If you're adding value at that initial stage without giving away ideas free, you're, um, you're going to stand out. Well, that's a, that's a fantastic answer. I think I think for the for the type of stuff that, that we do, there's certain things that can be accurately described and, and costed in units of time. But for the most part, the the real value we bring in in, in the creative side of things is, is just it's just the wrong metric entirely. Yeah. I can't believe it's almost a spoof that you you know of or have heard of people charging per word. I mean, that I had a conversation with with. It's, it's a madness. I had a conversation with uh, the brilliant Dave Harland not so long ago. Oh, it must have only been yeah. a couple of weeks ago about that whole idea of pricing per word. And it's almost too ridiculous to even give any airtime because there's mm. so many ways you can just attack that flawed. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Come at it from every angle. <laughs> it's wrong on every level. It's ridiculous. I think I said something ridiculous like the Mona Lisa is a picture of only one woman. So why is that worth so much? It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Question two is from Becky. And we've definitely, um, we've definitely touched on this already. But if there's anything else uh, you can add to our earlier conversation, I'm sure she would appreciate it. Becky says, like a lot of people, because of the coronavirus pandemic, I've started working from home. Although I've enjoyed the lack of my commute, I found sticking to a new routine difficult and my productivity has suffered. Do you mm. have any tips? Mm. Yeah, um, productivity wise, the, the stuff that I mentioned earlier about um, the self-care and well-being. So making sure that you are taking care of yourself so that you can be the best freelancer or the best whatever it is you do, um, that you can possibly be, that just restores your energy and it restores your ability to deliver an amazing service to your clients. So the the well-being slash self-care, another thing, I had three things in my mind, I've just promptly forgotten the third one, but the second one is, oh no, no, third one, know your own strengths in terms of productivity. So you might be somebody who just can't get going until 11 in the morning, Give yourself a lion if you find that helps. Start work later and then work later into the evening. Or if you've got young kids, work after the kids have gone to bed if you find you're productive then. So know your strengths in terms of when you produce your best work. And when you're aware that you're likely to have a productivity slump, that would be the time that I would recommend going out for a walk, going around the block, you know, doing a bit of exercise or just breaking up your day doing something different. And the third thing, would be um, a little but very handy little tip called the Pomodoro technique, which again, oh, is, it's mentioned in the book, but it's what I use to help me with productivity when I really need to focus. So it splits your day into 25 minute chunks. And the idea is you get a tomato. Uh, no, you don't get a tomato. Giles, <laughs> what am I talking about? You well, get I'm holding a, a tomato, what do I do next? <laughs> you get a timer. And the reason it's called the Pomodoro Technique is because I think it's Italian for tomato. And it is, it's yeah. based on those tomato-shaped timers. So that's where the name came from. So, um, yeah, so you split your day into 25-minute chunks. You work solidly with no distractions whatsoever, no notifications, not picking up your phone, not taking phone calls for 25 minutes and then you have a five minute break you do that four times in a row and then you have a longer break say 20 to 40 minutes after the fourth pomodoro and um that that works for me i don't think it works for everybody but it it, it does a lot of people have said they found it helpful yeah that that certainly helps set an email autoresponder that's another good one because i think emails can be such a time drain when you're trying to focus on the work, the creative output you're putting out there. So if you set uh, an auto response saying you're just checking your emails a couple of times a day and there might be a short delay before you respond, but um, it gives you the opportunity to focus on doing your best work, then the chances are that people who are getting the auto response will respect the fact that if they use you for their work, you will be focused and you're not going to be distracted every five minutes by other clients wanting a piece of you. So yeah, that's yeah. probably my final tip. That's a good tip as well, because I've always, I've always thought there's a psychological 
element when you email something which would likely be the case here where you're you you need help basically so you might be contacting a freelancer that you know is working on a project or you want to know they're available whatever it might be you're sending something and you want to reply just having that autoresponder it confirms it's that feedback that confirms your email has been received and as soon as you know it's been received you can then just take a breath and think oh brilliant that's in Sarah's court now you I can what? move on that's to my... really true. when you don't hear back yeah. it's really terrifying sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> have they got it are they out yeah. maybe they're away it's a good it's a good bit of like almost kind of validation by tech I suppose and, and I hadn't thought of it that way so that's kind of an extra an extra benefit for for setting the autoresponder I think that's a really good one Cool. Okay. Well, there you go. I hope Becky's happy with that. I'm sure she will be. The final part of the interview, Sarah, is our four pertinent poses. Uh, Starting with number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? Every single thing in the book, because I I wrote it to to be um, advice for my 29 year old self when I started out my freelance career, because there was nothing like it around then. Um, So yeah, it's a cop out answer, but it's true. (laughs) <laughs> sorry no no that's that's fine that's good that's good number two is if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why I guess I guess that feeling that we're up against other people who are doing the same job as we are so there's quite a big push on some channels like um instagram's quite good for this collaboration not competition and i think seeing your competitors as people to fear and people to be kind of closed off against is just we're we're missing lots of opportunities i don't think it's as much of an issue but maybe that's because it's not as much of an issue for me now i've got a really good strong support network of other freelancers and other copywriters through my own Twitter and my own LinkedIn and my own Instagram but I know a lot of people out there they're like whoa why would I want to connect with you you're you know you're doing the same job as I am you're the competition so stop seeing the competition as something to something to avoid yeah well said well said Number three, so aside from uh, the brilliant survival skills for freelancers, which we will link to in this episode's listing, are there any other books that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, I've got a big chunk of about 12 recommended books in the references section. And to pick one of them just seems mean. It's like having a favourite child. (laughs) Oh, we all do. (laughs) I mean, in in terms of... copywriting or marketing or I don't know it it can be it might be safer to go outside of copywriting then and then you can give all of those a buy yeah I I I really really love um on writing by Stephen King so it's not a book about copywriting but really anybody who is fascinated by the craft of writing and wants to be properly entertained by a book that is part bio part manual it's just brilliant. It's probably the most tweetable book I've ever read. I just went through it the first time. I actually have two copies, weirdly, long story. Um, but the the first copy I read, I just I just scribbled all over it and highlighted it left, right and centre. And, and it took me bloody ages to read because I kept pausing to tweet bits that I thought were absolutely brilliant. So yeah, On Writing by Stephen King. Amazing. Oh, fantastic. I don't think that's come up actually so far. We're oh, 45 or so episodes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well done. And then number four then, Sarah, is we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow that honour on our guest who has to give their reason why. So would you kindly dedicate this episode? Oh, God. Um, can it be like a figurative person? Yeah, let's do it. Does it have to be a named person? No, right. Okay, so it's going to be to the person who has had their life turned upside down on the back of lockdown and maybe they've been furloughed maybe their furlough schemes coming to an end and they're losing their job they're terrified to go out on their own but they know that it's what they have to do and they're really scared of taking the first step that's what this episode is dedicated to that person that's excellent well this episode is very proudly dedicated to that that person or sadly probably that group of people but you're right it's it's important that that it's seen as much of um a next step which whilst it can be daunting can also be very promising um too so absolutely excellent 
So as a, as a final call to action, everyone listening can head over to this episode and we've shared links to everything discussed. So links to Sarah's social medias, to survival skills for freelancers, to on writing by Stephen King. How else can our listeners get more Sarah Townsend? I guess connect with me on my most used socials. I'm most active on Twitter, which I am STE copywriting and LinkedIn. But if you do connect, be sure to um, drop a little note and just say you heard me on um, on Jar's podcast. So I know where you've come from because I, I tend to not accept all random requests unless I know where they've come from it's just nice to make contact too right so um, LinkedIn Twitter if you wanted to go to survivalskillsforfreelancers.com that's got all the info about the book and it also links through to buying the book on Amazon and also to my copywriting website so that's where you can get a bit more of a dose of me and there's there's a newsletter too isn't there there is a newsletter I can put the link I can send you the link so you can put that in your sign up I will do. I will do. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And finally, thank you to everybody listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it and review the pod. Uh, keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. You can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try and I try.